Class is in session. You're listening to Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshake. Let's go! Now, let's start the show. Podcast listeners, thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode 81 of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Now, today you guys are in for a real treat. This is probably one of my most favorite interviews that I've done to date. I got the opportunity to sit down with Chris Duffin of Kabuki Strength. And if you guys don't know who Chris is and of his story, get ready for an awesome show. The first portion of the show is filled with practical takeaways that can help you in your path to moving bigger weight with better technique. Um, And we also cover ways to analyze technique, barefoot training, blood flow restriction, and a number of recovery techniques. Now, if you don't know, Chris is currently training to squat 1,000 pounds for three reps. So as you can guess, recovery is paramount to this feat. So he knows a lot about this topic, so you won't want to miss that. And last, we cover Chris's new book, The Eagle and the Dragon, which covers a lot of his life, different lessons he's learned along the way, and things that you can apply to your own life. And let me tell you, do not stop listening until this podcast ends, because the journey Chris has been on during his life, from growing up homeless to where he is now, is nothing short of amazing. So I really think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to today's show. Chris, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to come on the Squat University podcast. For those out there that do not know of the work that you do and who you are, can you give us uh, just a little background to your story? Uh, yeah, so I'm a co-founder of Kabuki Strength, as well as uh, Barefoot Athletics and Build Fast Formula. Um, majority of my time is spent with, uh, with Kabuki. And, you know, that and all the brands, like we're, my, my passion is about helping people live better through strength. And that sounds kind of like out there, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. But really it's an important thing that I think we miss or have missed in, in our part of the industry for quite some time because there's a lot of, well, I used to do that until my back, my knees, the whatever it is, or still the, the pushing through the pain mentality. And strength training done right should be nothing but additive to your entire life. And actually something that helps you with all aspects of life and understanding that you do need to challenge yourself to stress yourself and give yourself the room to adapt. And that's how we change. That's how we grow. And so I've been a strength athlete uh, since 1988. (laughs) So a little while. And uh, I saw a big gap. My my expertise was in business and engineering. I, I did own my own gym and I have a, I had a 9,000 square foot uh, training center. Cause like I said, I was a competitive athlete and I was doing like company turnarounds in the aerospace and automotive and high tech world mm-hmm. and got to a point that I was just like, so frustrated with what I saw out there in 2007. I just started sitting down and recording my conversations and my training and whatever it was with, with gym members and started posting it on YouTube. Okay. Cause I'm like, you know, maybe I can't impact the world, but at least let me try to hit some other areas. And over the course, so it was, I, I started that. And also at the same time, like a few years later, with about five years later, I started actually doing a lot of clinical continuing education to further my own, my own knowledge in, 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 in that area. Even though I was, I was one of the top athletes. So I was ranked number one in the world for almost a decade straight in powerlifting. 
had all-time world records multiple times. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt that there was more. I had injuries. I had these things going on. And I felt that I needed a deeper understanding of what I already, what I, what I was doing. And ended up kind of bouncing against a number of different methodologies that it a lot of times would be still today compared like antithesis to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like corrective exercise specialists and DNS stuff is all like body weight, anti-lifting. Let's start doing that. Start looking at things from a neurological aspect. And we're talking, again, it's all movement-based stuff. But I still saw the need for actually integrating uh, some of the, you know, um, uh, I don't think it, what the modalities, but soft tissue uh, direct work, right? Yeah. There's, there's this play. There's no like real one answer, but when we start looking at it through these right windows, all of a sudden these things started coming together in my mind and it really came up over a number of years of doing this. And by this time, you know, my friends included a lot of key players in the industry, like Dr. Stu McGill, mm-hmm. Dr. Kelly Starrett, Craig Liebenson, who brought, you know, DNS to the U.S., a whole bunch of others, mm-hmm. very influential people, researchers um, as well that, I, you know, allowed me to like reach and learn in, in a manner that a lot of people don't have access to, honestly. Yeah. And so I ended up sort of starting to lecture with them as well on some of this stuff and, and developed, you know, kind of our own philosophy playing off of all this. And that's how do we do it in like a loaded strength world? Where do we start with, how do we assess, how do we correct, and then how do we go and use these other disciplines as appropriate with our training to maximize performance, maximize recovery? And so that's the education side of Kabuki strength. Yeah. So we've got a team of coaches. They work with people directly, do movement assessments uh, virtually, things like that, similar to work with, to what you're doing. Uh, and then they travel around and lecture. The first three or four years I went with, um, but now it's 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 a standalone system, and they travel every month around around the U.S. This year around the world, and then there's the equipment side of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm a tinker, like I said, engineering's my background. I've I've led teams of engineers in some of the most difficult disciplines out there, mm-hmm. and I saw that we're we have a lot of issues, and I, I think where that the entire industry needs to change, honestly is we keep shoving everybody in the same box going, we all need to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to be able to do a barbell back squat to depth. I'm like, well, where does that come from? Why don't you go watch those seven foot six NBA players try to squat to depth? A lot of them never will be able to because of their lever links, things mm-hmm. like that. So we need to like cater to the individuality of the lifter as an industry. 100% and so agree. their individual Um, mobility restrictions, their torso links, their levers, like all these sorts of things. And then also what are their needs as an athlete? Mm -hmm. What history do they have coming into this for injuries that, that, you know, if you're dealing with somebody with flexion intolerance, you're going to treat them different than, you know, a 20, 22 year old up and coming strength, you know, strength athlete. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're going to have, you know, some of that, you're going to be a lot more delicate in some areas. And anyway, we need to, that's where we need to go as an industry. And so I saw a lot of the tools out there, were just inappropriate. They didn't offer the ability. So our educational system basically feeds what we do from an equipment perspective. Mm -hmm. So we see gaps in the industries and we create entirely new products that nobody's ever seen before. Fortunately, it takes a lot of education. For sure. Um, But at the same time, 
we've been picked up at the highest levels almost instantaneously because the educated coaches out there get what we're doing. Yeah. So 90% of the top MLB teams, they're our customers. Mm -hmm. We're in the NBA, the NFL. We work with the Olympic Training Center. We work with, um, uh, 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 let's see, NBA, NFL, Major League Base. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Major League. Uh, Colleges, 500 plus colleges, you name the NCAA champions in any sport, basically. Uh, football, baseball, <laughs> uh, baseball, uh, basketball. You know, we work with, we work with all the top teams. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a few missing here and there, but we're, we're all over. And we've been, so this has all happened in a, you know, a four or five year time span uh, that we've been able to reach so many people. And then our products are used, and you know this, <laughs> uh, with where you're at. Uh, really heavily in uh, like the clinical therapy practice, maybe not yep. in the therapy side, but so many people are starting to integrate that practice, which I think is an absolutely fantastic thing yep. because, you know, doing something on the clinical bench is one thing, but now how do we actually go load and do this? So you're going to pick up a child off a floor or you're going to, you know, th this is, this is that return to play that moving into strength training. And so, we see so many of our products actually picked up in Cairo and physical therapy clinics that are doing, that are making this shift uh, into these areas. Cause it's really, this is, I'm, I'm going into tangents here, but this That's continuum fine, yeah. of care, whichever side that you work on it on, mm -hmm. like it can't be this over the wall stuff that we've been seeing for so I long. Agree. I agree. You go in, ah, your knee pain, you've got knee pain while squatting. Okay, let's look at your knee, and they do all this sort of stuff, and never squat. Exactly, exactly. Like, I mean, like, one of my biggest pet peeves for sure. Like, you can't. Like, that, that's not an assessment. <laughs> I mean, yeah, ridiculous. So, and, and then all their treatments are passive treatments, usually just to the knee joint. You know, they don't exactly. ever take. They don't ever take a step back, and I always say, view the body through the looking glass of movement, and just assess what the person's doing as a whole. Like, if you're not per asking someone to perform the basic movements of a squat during an assessment for any type of pain, you're missing out on potentially seeing the why behind their injury in the first place. Absolutely. So like our process starts with the squat. We mm -hmm. assess in the movement because oftentimes there's so many little, if you understand the nuance of, okay, the toes doing this, I see the pinky doing this. I see like, you'll know actually what's going on in the body, what mm -hmm. engagement patterns are working and what aren't. Uh, and so it, you can't see, I mean, it's, you don't need to go anywhere else. So true. Like, and so that's, that's why I said like DNS or some of the correctives are like kind of anti-lifting. They're not really anti-lifting, but they treat it as this separate thing. Let's yeah. remove you from the training and we're going to go over here and do this. Mm -hmm. Well, the only thing, and trust me, I've got an entire, I've got an entire website devoted to corrective exercises, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they're not doing any stress uh, unless you're dealing with a sedentary population. Sure. So that means we're actually getting no adaptive change. So all we're, what are we doing? We're still doing good. We're practicing, we're practicing skills and positions. Mm -hmm. We're cueing maybe some neurology to happen for through developmental kinesiology. Mm -hmm. uh, we're bringing proprioceptive awareness to the different positions. So we're doing stuff. It's homework. Yes. But at the end of the day, if we can actually do that while you're squatting, we don't have to go anywhere. It's like, I don't need to get this pull you off to do this fix to get your right glute firing when I can see your toes on your right foot are picking up and mm -hmm. let's work on some foot mechanics and oh all of a sudden the chain connects and a whole lot of stuff happens and oh maybe your back pain went away too because exactly. it's a connected system so that's what I found mm -hmm. and so it was kind of on the 
the forefront of leading that in the, in the strength training world. Cause these conversations weren't, weren't happening. Yeah. I started driving heavily on breathing, bracing and spinal mechanics, uh, almost a decade ago. Those, and it's funny because nobody there's was, so many people that nowadays are just like, oh, my breathing pattern. I have never thought about breathing when bracing yeah. and then squatting. And then when they finally adopt that, they're like, it's nine day different. My squat feels totally different or my deadlift yes. feels totally different just by something so simple as how to breathe. Well, it can change people's life. I mean, you get somebody that's like, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody watch our content or we work with them or it, it, any number of methods. We put out tons of free content to help people. Mm-hmm. And be like, hey, I was in pain. I couldn't train for six months. I was in debilitating pain. I was having all these negative depressive thoughts because you take somebody that's active and you take that away from their life, it's, they know that physical culture is important and it starts having a negative impact on emotional and mental well-being. It's yeah. a fact. Mm-hmm. And you go, I put your stuff into play. I went into the gym. I hit, and mind you, this is, I haven't trained for six months. Yeah. I hit my old max Crazy. with no pain yeah. for a triple. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And, like, <laughs> exactly. and other people are like, how'd you do that? You didn't add yeah. any strength. Cause we do this all the time in seminars. Yeah. Like people come in and they're hitting PRs. It's like, we didn't do anything. It's there the whole time. Yep. Your body's actually been holding you back for protective me- mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And so like people see my training and see what I do. And they're like, how do you do this? Well, I'm able to tap in and utilize a lot yes. more of my system than you are. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm necessarily stronger. I can move more you can because tap I don't the potential. I don't, I don't have, trust me. I'm not saying I don't have any, you can always be better. It's a key motto of ours. There's always more, hundred percent. always you're mm-hmm. never, you never have it mastered. You never sit back. You can mm-hmm. always be better, but I have a lot less inhibition going on. Mm-hmm. I'm able, I've got my joints in the optimal positions, which means I've got the proper length tension relationship between uh, you know, between the muscles, which is going to make them be more effective. I'm going to go on another rant here. I can't hey, help myself. Keep on going. We, we got all day. So <laughs> speaking, speaking of, you know, being in good positions, this is an argument that's coming on uh, a little bit on the physical therapy side that we see with some audience. I get where they're coming from mm-hmm. and saying position doesn't matter, which yeah. is, 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 is right to an extent because we adapt and get stronger in any positions. Okay? True. But if we're trying to maximize a specific movement, mm-hmm. right, and that's the goal of the sport, and we say it doesn't matter, so round back deadlifting's fine. You'll ad- you'll adapt. There's no there's no there's nothing wrong with anterior pelvic tilt with spinal flexion under load. Yep. Yes, I hear it all the time. I I hear it too, and it's it, and it is accurate. But you have to take context. True. Okay. So the context is, if I want to maximize that. Well, how do I do that? It means I train with higher loads, mm-hmm. higher weight, with higher frequency, and tighter time sessions. Okay. I'll have a lot more ability to tolerate that if I'm in good position and I've got yeah. the proper length. Like, <laughs> and yeah. that can't be denied. Mm-hmm. Like that, well, and then you are, also have. So they're right, but yeah. also saying it doesn't, like, it does matter because the more I dial it in, it doesn't mean you're going to injure yourself. It means you have a. But if you combine that with all this other stuff, your risk is going up because, up. Yeah. because especially if we're actually trying to get stronger, move it forward. And then my favorite is yeah. our, our internal saying is, okay, all right, you, we don't have a specific study backing that because there's lots of back and forth there. For sure. How about you just go do your own study? Exactly. Do okay. your research. I would right like now. you to do yeah. once a study, N equals one, 
go out and do a maximum effort Jefferson curl. Yeah. Let me know how you feel. That's what I always tell people. I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, come back and tell me. Because okay. let's, let's take this research right now. Let's so, take 50 so, people so, and have them all do weighted Jefferson curls. Like no review board is going to pass that. It's <laughs> they, a very unethical you know, type of research. Yeah. <laughs> so those that aren't familiar with the Jefferson curl, it's yeah. uh, basically extending the back uh, from a flex position <laughs> to a neutral position one segment at a time. So you're basically <laughs> curling with your spine. Yeah. And there's actually physical therapists out there that will take somebody that's in severe back pain and tell them Jefferson curl, which is, yeah. Blows so there's mind. actually, technically there's nothing wrong with the Jefferson curl because we will adapt and if we're healthy, the mm -hmm. tissues. But if you've got somebody that already has an intolerance and issues, yeah. you, you don't load, you, you don't load <laughs> the, the aggravating, <laughs> the, the aggravating problem. You would think problem. that would make sense to people. You would think, but it's yeah. a whole like sub subculture, like in physical therapy, it's not big, but yeah. there are people in there just adamant about it. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I see it all the like, time. Go try your, go try it yourself. Let yeah. me know. See what it feels like. Yeah. And <laughs> so to be it, like, for example, to move as much as I weight as I have for my deadlift mm -hmm. and squat, it comes down to me being able to do a lot more work than other people. That's how I end up lifting more in a mm -hmm. certain time frame. I yeah. can't do that. If I'm in compromised position, I will not recover for the next workout, which means that'll be extended. And if we can accumulate that over a training block year over year, I will not be as strong as I am. These are facts. I, I stand adamantly behind them. Agreed. And, and uh, so at the same time, I'm not disagreeing with, with what they have to say, but mm -hmm. you've got to look at this context. And I get really frustrated with uh, some of these people. Well, the research is that, like, let's, let's use some context, please. please. Yeah. No, 100% agree. Well, let, let me tell you, so far with this conversation, I feel like I'm talking to a mirror of myself, minus <laughs> my ability to deadlift over a 1000 pounds. Uh, you know, the ideologies that we share, I think are, are so key, and especially the ability to take education and mix it with strength training in a practical format and to say, hey, let's bring in all these different um, you know, experts, Dr. Stuart McGill, Dr. Kelly Starrett, like all their work and combine it and bring it into the strength training realm. Like that's what exactly Squat University is. And that's why I was so pumped to sit down and be able to talk with you today. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I've been trying to do with my own work and walk the walk of it through yeah. example for years now, Yeah, because I felt what I learned is there's fantastic stuff over there, but nobody believes and nobody follows it. Mm -hmm. Because it's some skinny clinician that's never really done much. Exactly. And, I'm like, the, and, and, now, and they actually <laughs> can't tell you how to do it in a squat. Yeah. Like, and so, uh, like when I yeah. met Craig Liebenson a number of years ago, you see him deadlifting on his Instagram all the time. And mm -hmm. he was, I was attending some of his DNS courses. And I'm like, that's great. But uh, hey, Craig, you, you know, you're actually not doing what you say <laughs> when you actually lift. He's like, what? I'm like, here, let me show you. Yeah. And so I ended up doing a deadlift clinic in one of his DNS exercises. It was a long time ago. This is yeah. how we got to be friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, you actually get to see when this stuff breaks down and when you're actually not doing what you think you, you may be doing in your correctives mm -hmm. with like, got to have this on and this fired and be moving this way and inflated yeah. the right way. In. And uh, I'm like, load is, load is an incredible teacher. Oh, huge teacher. That's how we find out where we're breaking down, where we're missing. Mm -hmm. And that's our opportunity to be yeah. better. 
hundred yeah. percent agree. Yeah. While I, while I may be that, that skinny clinician compared to you, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, my, my, you get in the gym and lift. No, you're not the skinny clinician I'm talking about. So <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I always try to tell people like, while I don't post a lot of videos of myself lifting, like I have been an Olympic lifter since 2005 and I was able to take my tap into as much potential as possible to go and lift, you know, amongst the greats uh, in, in the U S at least on a national level. But yeah, I totally agree. You, you get a lot of athletes or clinicians today that try to speak on strength training in blending it with the world, but yet they don't have any of that practical experience in actually yeah. pushing their body to the complete and, max day in and day out as you would with, as being a competitive lifter. And, and, and you have to know how to put those things together. Yeah, 100% like, it's not, yeah. it, it, it's, it's not just stuff material that you can learn in a lecture. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A number of years ago, I was helping uh, a professor I know. He was teaching a course on flexion intolerance mm -hmm. in the back for, um, well, a bunch of chiropractors and physical therapists. It was uh, at our a local chiropractic court. Uh, it was a continuing ed course. And I was blown away uh, because I came in to show some proper mechanics and do, you know, kind of an add on piece to, you know, all the research he was pulling up. Mm -hmm. And 40% of the people in the room, couldn't do a body weight squat. They just couldn't demonstrate. I'm like, how are you supposed to get somebody out of pain when you can't even model one of the basic movements that a person has to master yep. if they have, if, 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 if they've got some flexion intolerance. In, yeah. I see it all the time. One, how are you going to teach it? You can't yep. even model it. Like, I'm like, that was just eye opening for me. I remember that I was, was uh, teaching at a, uh, it was the Kansas state, physical therapy association, like fall meeting. And they had me come in and I was speaking on squat mechanics and just sort of a lot that was delivered in my first book, the squat Bible. And I remember just asking show of hands who here knows the difference between a high bar and a low bar back squat and out of a room of maybe 90 people, I think two people raised their hands and I'm just, I'm blown away. I'm like, you're going to have a conversation with a power lifter or a weight lifter, a crossfitter about just mechanics. Because understanding the difference, while you may not squat low bar, like you need to understand the mechanics of it and how that feeds into the body and the way in which it's moving in the weight room, like, or just out picking up a box off the ground. Like you need yep. to understand simple mechanics. And if you have no experience in that at all, that's tough. It is. Yep. And like I said, just do it like, and this isn't powerlifter specific. Everybody yep. that works in some sort of movement culture. 100%. Uh, yeah, and the clinical side, the 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 the, the, the uh, training side doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what athletes you're working with, what age. I don't care if you're working with seventy-year-old grandmothers. <coughs> you need to be able to model and teach mm -hmm. a squat and that, a deadlift. That's one of the first. These are fundamental yeah. basics for having the largest global impact through the entire body. Yep. Is being able to manage and maintain spinal load with through movement while having having movement at about the hip or shoulder as well. Mm -hmm. I, is, I couldn't agree more. It has the largest global impact through the whole body. I can look at shoulder mechanics all I want, but if I'm not managing spinal mechanics, it changes. Mm -hmm. I, knees, yeah. feet, like people want to, I've had people set up like, hey, uh, what mobilization would be best for this person? You know, here's their ankle and what's going on. I'm like, what does their squat look like? Well, let's look at this. For, I'm like, no, let's look, like, I don't think they need them. Let's yep. go squat. Oh, exactly. let's work on these basics up here. And all of a sudden the need for what they thought they had to deliver on the ankle went away. Mm -hmm. Like it has, you can't, it's number one starting place. If you don't have that 
first, a couple things are going to happen. So one, the injury or whatever issue may not even be an injury, whatever issue is going to keep reoccurring or it's going to move somewhere else in the body. Mm-hmm. It's just number one. And we manage it through breathing and bracing principles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's number one. We have to have that dialed. Then once we do that, we look at the foot next. So the foot has the next largest global impact through the entire body. Mm-hmm. And so this is basically our assessment process when we look okay. at So we have everybody do a squat uh, with their shoes off so we can actually see what's going on. Doesn't mean, we, doesn't mean we make them squat with shoes off all the time, but we have to understand what the foot's doing. It makes the invisible visible. Absolutely. There's so much. If you know what's going on with the foot, there's so much you know what's going on with the body. Totally agree. Yep. <laughs> and, so, and then from there, now if we've got those two things nailed, now we can start looking elsewhere, which would be the next two places would be the two large power generation units in the, in the body, mm-hmm. the hip complex and the shoulder complex. Mm-hmm. And I, we don't even really get into anywhere else. Like that right there drives most everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some nuances of you know uh, wrist while you're pressing or other stuff and whatnot. But for the most part, like knees and elbows, these are output joints. If you've got an issue there, unless you hit something, uh, it your your problems there are caused by one of the other things that we've gone through so far. Well, it's crazy. You're talking about the foot. Now, obviously people that have seen your stuff on Instagram, they see you putting up these huge numbers, barefoot squatting. And the the big thing I I try to tell people is look, while you may not be cut out to barefoot squat, like if you need a weightlifting shoe with the raised heel to get into a better position, especially here in the sport of Olympic weightlifting, Mm -hmm. but you need to be doing- That's the thing though. People miss (laughs) the fact that those shoes are designed for Olympic weightlifting. And they think it means all weightlifting. Mm It's not very true. Very it's true. the bottom of the snatch position. <laughs> yes. There's a reason uh, that requires they were that excessive yeah. mobility, but exactly. some squatters may still need it, mm-hmm. but I'll let you continue. But yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. My, my big thing was while you may put those on and need to put them on to get into more efficient positions, that does not mean that you're never squatting without shoes on. Like you need to get exactly. out of your shoes and feel the ground. And I always tell people, I don't care. Like during the day, you need to be sitting in a deep body weight squat, no shoes before you or as you're warming up, no shoes on. I want you to feel the ground. Your yep. first set with an open barbell, no shoes on. You need to feel the ground. Cause so many times you won't even, you'll miss so many different things in how your body yeah. is moving and getting into specific positions because you're hiding that with wearing a pair of shoes. And so we don't, if a lifter lifts more with, 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 with lifts, mm-hmm. we don't make them take them off, but yeah. we do the same thing. You need more time and your correctives, your accessories, your warmups, all this stuff, because you need to train it. Yes. You need to learn. And it will get better in the shoe if you get better out of the shoe. So true. And here's the analogy because I've actually have, uh, there's, I guess so many people, it, my following is not as big as yours, but uh, I know you get like these people. It's always somebody that's in med school. I'm telling you. Oh, for sure. They're, they're, in, a, they're in a class <laughs> and, you know, they're ready to spout off and list you the research and like, <laughs> tell me the research that shoes are, you know, you're, I've had people compare my, my, my pushing of barefoots uh-huh. the same as being a, an anti-vaxxer. And I'm like, they're like, there's no science. I'm like, where's the science to back up <laughs> shoes, by the True. way? Because if you want to look at the meta analysis, of the data, orthotics don't do anything besides a temporary relief over a few week period of time. Very true. Uh, and so, yeah, there could be a use for them, mm-hmm. but there's no ongoing use. Uh, they, they provide no long, 
ongoing lasting benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, I love uh, that photo that you showed too of the foot with the splay in the toes. Yep. And then also the crampedness of most shoes. Yep. And, and, and people don't understand that their foot is actually deformed. If you yeah. spend a few years out, like spending time in your foot, foot working your foot mechanics, your foot is going to grow wider. Yeah. And you may not like that aesthetically. Some people don't, but this is the fact. That's the way you're just go look at, go find your mom and go f- pull out the baby prints mm-hmm. of your foot. When you were a child, it might be on your birth certificate or something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. That's what your foot's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And so you today going to try to find the right shoe that fits your, 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 your foot doesn't do anything because yeah. it's fitting a compromised foot. And here's the other thing I, I point out. So one, the data does not support the use of orthotics, which mm-hmm. is actually a fix for actually what's going on with the, the shoe anyway. So when we pull the big toe in and raise it and turn it inward, mm-hmm. uh, we have this no control of moving into a valgus position with the knee. We lose this base of support. Yep. And to compensate for that, we have to build up this big arch. And that's why we have to put the lift in. We have to, mm-hmm. like all the... Everything that you know about shoe design that you think is there to benefit you is actually fixing, is, is not fixes, but they're patches, band-aids for the problem of shoe design to begin with. So, so this true. is, just so you know, like anything that you think is good about a shoe, shoes are great though, and we need them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, because disease, cuts, abrasions, weather, all this sort of stuff. But that means we need something more of like a moccasin style or a... I am pumped to try out these new barefoot shoes. Ah, yes. Uh, You're going to like them. I'm super pumped. But um, getting back to the argument of, Mm -hmm. you know, being barefoot is like an anti-vaxxer or it doesn't provide you anything. Here's Like everybody knows that the person, well, not everybody, everybody (laughs) that's in uh, physical culture, Mm -hmm. training, clinical work, whatever knows that the person in Home Depot wearing that back support isn't doing them any good. True. Right? Yeah. They're, they're not learning, they're not using, and they're actually getting in a weakened state, and it's actually probably going to heighten the risk of injury at some point yeah. in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not doing them any benefit. They're actually not learning how to, to brace and control the spine. Yeah. And we're weakening. We're weakening mm-hmm. it. Well, this, what is your shoe doing? And think about how many more muscles in bones and joints and ligaments are in there and we've we're just packing into this little house we're we're taking your your shoe or your foot like your like it was like your hip or your back and you know if we shoved you into a wheelchair and made you sit for 10 years and then at the end of the 10 years we said all right get up and go do some squats yeah that's what we're that's what we're doing you're packing it into this a lot of people in the barefoot world call them shoe coffins or foot coffins, <laughs> right? Perfect. Uh, foot coffins, but you're, you're shoving in it and letting it not move. Mm-hmm. Anybody that sees my feet in person, they're like, oh my God, your feet are jacked. There's like <laughs> muscles all, I'm like, yeah, there is. Or they see my videos like, oh my God, you squatted it and you did it with bare feet. Oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, no, I did that because it's a performance enhancer. I actually lift more like there this way, not, not to make it harder. I'm making it easier. But you have that, to know how to that use brings it. up a picture. I remember seeing it was someone made a graphic. It was the bottom of a foot with a pack of uh, six pack on it, showing like <laughs> the, the foot core, how important it is. <laughs> that's a good oh, that's one. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's like, somehow we know this when we look at other things like the yeah. wheelchair analogy, the, the, uh, the, the brace mentality, the, the, the brace, but 
but we we'll don't think about it. it at the feet. We'll yeah. deny it. We'll argue it when it comes to the foot. Well, it's because like, those those Nike Air Maxes are so cool looking, right? It's fashion over over function, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, I had a uh, a friend give me a pair of gift me a pair of Nike Air Maxes, and I put them on one time, and I'm like, dude, I can't wear these. Like they are so narrow from being in more of a wider set, open toed shoe for mm-hmm. such a long time. Like it felt like I was wearing the most tiniest cramped shoes ever, and it totally changes your foot mechanics. It totally does. And yeah, you, you won't realize it until you spend a few years out of them and then try to go wear something. You're like, this yeah. sucks. It's horrible. I want out of this right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. That's so true. Well, going back to what we were talking about earlier with Kabuki being a leader in strength equipment, I know one of the biggest pieces of equipment that I have used of yours uh, a lot is the transformer bar. And I remember you were talking about how a lot of people pigeonhole like the back squat. Everyone needs to back squat. And while obviously the back squat is people would say the king of all exercises, that doesn't mean but, that we can't. But what's the difference between things. a back squat pattern and a and a goblet squat pattern and a front squat pattern? Exactly. Like everybody needs to be able to squat, but there's actually nothing about our physiology that says a bar exactly. needs to be sitting on this point of your back and you need mm-hmm. to be able to do it because exactly. femur links, torso links, all this stuff plays a great role in this. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see, that's one of the reasons like the transformer bar is used all over professional sports, by the way, yeah. because a lot of these outliers, they're in there. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not just for dealing with outliers. We can actually change the response. We can actually improve positions. We can do so much with that bar. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's the only bar in the world that you can actually manipulate spinal mechanics with. Yeah. That's, and that has, a, like we said, has a pretty large global impact. So we can actually change things through the whole body. It's crazy. Yeah. So if anyone listening to this has not tried the transformer bar, you need to get your hands on it. It is unlike any other bar out there. For example, using it in, in the rehab setting where I'm at working with patients who are coming back from back pain or things like that. A specific example, my man, uh, JP Price, elite powerlifter and coach from Kansas City, coming back from back pain. And we're able to modify and manipulate torque and shear forces and load on the spine in a way that allows him to squat pain-free because of the way in which the transformer bar, because we can't put with JP's mobility in the front rack, like we can't get him into a front squat position. No, he won't, yep. And you can't, he can't pick up a goblet squat heavy well, enough for the us goblet, to load this, his body. The, the goblet know? squat is actually one of the best patterns. Exactly. So the goblet squat, it's very upright, uh, cue, yeah. it, it cues a uh, great sternal position. Mm-hmm. So that sternal position is now going to improve the relationship of the diaphragm to the pelvic floor, which then automatically we start getting a lot of the processes that need to actually stabilize to happen, which is actually creating this intra-abdominal pressure. So it's this eccentrically loading of the tissue. This is where we get confusing with people with bracing because they think it's all this, uh, the abs crunching down. Oh, exactly. But it's, it's this, this stuff working in concert with each other and everybody misses that, that, that secondary piece. And then we get a lot of that activity cued because it's front loaded. Mm -hmm. Like a whole lot of stuff happens automatically. Yeah. And that's the, the thing weight that's so is nice in front with, and it's yeah. over the midfoot. So we get a little bit more spinal upriding, mm-hmm. but here's the problem. You're going to, your front delts are going to be way weaker. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit weaker than yeah. your hip and leg complexes. Just, just saying. Yeah. So you can never actually load it to get much of a change. That's the thing is, you know, for anyone that's listening to this that doesn't really visualize what we're saying, it's basically, it's a safety squat bar where you can literally manipulate the bar to where the weight is either behind you or more forward, but you're still gripping it in the front like a safety squat bar. So you can have someone, let's say, you know, the biggest dumbbell or kettlebell in your gym is a hundred pounds. You literally can manipulate the bar to where the weight is sitting more forward as if you were holding a very heavy goblet squat. And now you're loading it in that same pattern. 
because just like we said before, um, while the squat is a universal exercise that everyone should be able to do, there's going to be so many different factors that necessitates a different pattern that is more optimal for some people. Yep, Someone exactly. who's flexion intolerant um, or has a history of flexion intolerance may benefit more so from that more upright chest position or someone, mm -hmm. depending on their lever lengths, may not be able to tolerate or look very optimal in a very you know forward position like a low bar back squat. So this allows you to still get the great benefits of the squat, which if you've listened to anything that we've talked about so far, there's many reasons for the squat being the most important exercise that you can do in movement, but you're able to get all those benefits in a pattern that best suits you, your body and your restrictions at the time. So great explanation, yeah. man. You should be a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it, yeah. It's funny though. The first year, like it, it, it was teaching like me figuring out how to explain the bar. Cause yeah. I was like, it changes where we put the load about the hip joint. Yeah. And I said that for like a year and nobody understood what I was saying. I was, I was at the college strength and conditioning, uh, uh, coaches convention mm -hmm. and there was a group and they're like, what does it do? And I, I start going through my spiel and I could just see their eyes glaze over. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like if you take somebody to goblet squat, we can actually load that. And they're like, Oh, and so <laughs> I came up with, you know, the graphs and the drawings and the Super new explanation. Yeah. And everybody's like, Oh my God, did you just come out? I'm like, no, it's been out for a year and a half. I just, <laughs> I was, uh, I was explaining it a little too theoretical. <laughs> yeah. It takes a little bit of time for people to really grasp the, uh, the it, understanding did. Of it did. Yeah, yeah. It took a, it took, but now it, now, now people get it and they're going crazy with it. So yeah, absolutely well, love it. I know you said that obviously your background before you got into Kabuki was being in engineering. What do you think are some of the big takeaways that you took from that part of your career into now the way in which you educate on the squat and the deadlift and everything else? Yeah. So uh, well, let me clarify. I've never actually been an engineer. Okay. I managed, uh, I managed engineer. I have engineering degrees. Okay. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> I've got an MBA and I ended up developing on the leadership side to where I was uh, general manager, director of operations, basically running the entire facilities. Mm -hmm. And so engineering managing, either engineering report through me or the engineering manager would report up through me. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what I did is I took, uh, you know, very complex businesses, engineer, engineered businesses, and got them to perform significantly higher. Uh, quality, delivery, financial performance. That's what I did. I was sought after that. And it was a lot of different types of industries that had different needs. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of that really came to me is understanding, really being able to take a look at core concepts or principles and starting with that and then working out and figuring out the whys. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people in, in our industry have like, this is the this is the style of squat that we teach. This yeah. is the, it's, it's, a, it's, it, it's methodology based, not principle based. Yeah. And if you start with principles, you can now start to understand how a lot of different pieces can start fitting together to create a system that's very effective. And that's what I did. Yeah. I created systems. Um, and so, yes, I do have a, a vast background in engineering. That definitely mm -hmm. came a role in and getting the operation side of our business up and going is actually understanding that being able to, to design it and bring different things to market. Cause I'm, I'm a forever tinker. Mm -hmm. uh, I build, I build custom vehicles from the ground up. I've seen your, I've seen the picture of your truck, which yeah, is crazy. So, 
So I, 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 that's just a passion, like always like digging and trying to understand a little bit more, a little bit better and pushing the limits. And I, I take that to, to everything we do is just, you know, just trying to be as good as we can be and yeah. really understanding what the, the key fundamental is that we're trying to achieve with it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we can certainly see a lot of this, these principles in Kabuki yeah. uh, with our products, with our education. Uh, it is an entire system. I think we're one of the few companies, well, I'd be hesitant to name any other company can I think of, mm. that's a principle-based company around principles around loading, principle around movement that is an yeah. equipment manufacturer. Yeah, I can't. I don't think there's anyone. Yeah. You know, there's maybe some people that play in that field like a perform better. They're not a manufacturer. They distribute sure. certain things. Yeah. They kind of bounce around a little bit. I don't think they have an entirely solidified, like, educate, like, they have people that come in and they may teach different things than each other. Yeah. Um, so, so it makes a, a very, very unique company. It is, we have a system uh, from beginning to end from, you know, movement preparation to training to recovery, um, all these aspects. And we're trying to fill the gaps and uh, create a, an entirely holistic approach to it. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I mean, if anyone's read the book, start with why by Simon Sinek, I mean, it really shows that ideal of having those principles, understanding what your why is, understanding the company's why, and really going from there and establishing, like you said, the principles. And when you can establish those principles and put in systems in place, you maximize the potential of whatever you're working with, whether it is an engineering company or an equipment company or a weightlifter or powerlifter, you know, understanding yep. the principles of movement and bracing and positioning of your feet and solidifying the way in which you are getting into the technique that you are utilizing. That's how you, you know, maximize the potential for who you are as an athlete as well. Yep. That's uh, I haven't, uh, I haven't read that book. Um, a lot of people here have, yep. uh, I used a process called the five whys back in yep. like the night. So just constantly driving deeper, like yes. digging deeper. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself an answer five times to just keep getting to understanding why you want what you want, what the, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a really powerful process and yeah. it makes us a very purpose driven organization. Our employees mm-hmm. are very engaged in like our mission and what we're trying to accomplish in the world Yeah, because that's why we're here. And, and, and uh, so, you know, it provides all of us a living, but it's not, it's not to make money. It's to have this impact and leave the world with this impact in a way that we know we have the capability of doing. Yeah. And, and that is, that's our goal. And man, I, I tell you, it makes, it makes for an incredible uh, team and work environment to have people yeah. that are so passionate about the same, the same goal. That's doesn't so mean great. we don't have strife because sometimes yeah. we disagree sure. on how we're going to get there, but yeah. we're all believing in the same thing. There's no question about that. Everybody's that's all about. For sure. Well, let's skip to a different topic and one that sort of fits in with sort of supporting some of the other pillars that we have. I know that you have dabbled with blood flow restriction training in your past. And I do want to preface this that anyone that wants to really dive in deep into the science of this much more, your podcast that you did, I think it was episode 27 of Strength Chat, definitely goes way into the science. So any of my exercise science nerds out there that really love that, 
episode 27 of the Strength Chat podcast. Check that out. With uh, Dr. Mario Novo. Yes. yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Awesome guest. Um, I want to know, first off, your experience with it, because obviously there's many different protocols and in, in sort of what your thoughts are on it in potentially even where it could go in the future, because obviously there's so much more research of where we can go in different protocols. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, I started out using it, which is how it's typically used, which is in a rehab type situation. Yeah. It allows us to stimulate all the, you know, the response that we get from exercise, from growth hormone release to things that are happening on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to state all that uh, myself. It's covered in that other <laughs> podcast pretty well. Yeah. But uh, we basically trick the body into doing that without having a load that is going to accumulate fatigue. So that allows us to do it much more frequently and yep. get that. Um, so it's not as effective as just training itself. So let's mm-hmm. be clear. It's not this magic thing that's going to do deliver something else that nobody else has done before. But in that environment, it's, it's huge. If I can stimulate blood flow and get the healing properties of, of training multiple times a week on my hamstring that I wouldn't be able to load, that's going to be hugely beneficial. So that protocol is typically done two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, it can kind of be mixed a little bit with, a hyper, with hypertrophy with that too, because that would allow you to get additional sessions in, in a week, some additional stimulus over just your training load as well. Mm-hmm. So you can do a similar approach to try to stimulate some hypertrophy uh, over some blocks, and it would be done, cycled in and out that way again. Um, you really need to understand or be trained i think in this process it is not just sticking some bands on and going and training Mm -hmm. so it can be very dangerous in fact the person that created this to begin with is uh i think it's katsu yeah Uh, uh he uh he died from doing it so he really uh yes he got a blood clot and was he doing it at like just a crazy high level of occlusion I, i don't know the details i believe so so, so since that time, that's where the management of the actual, and, and then actually having a program that really aligns with what's been researched, yeah. because you could just be doing nothing. Yeah. You could be doing all this work and not accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. So you really need to know what your, what your Venus return. So what, at what pressure, there's an occlusion pressure. So take a limb, we're going to occlude it, um, restrict the blood flow but you've got to measure at what point it returns. And then from there, now you can align it with the research that will be done on, because they do it on a, a percent of occlusion. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for me right now, uh, it's 210 PSI on one leg and 200 PSI on the other leg. Oh, wow. You have a different side to side. Yep. And they will be slightly different. Yeah. For me, I just average it and say it's 205 and do it off yeah. of that. So. Mm-hmm may or may not be right. I don't think at that level, it's going to be that, 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 that particular, we're talking about five pounds. Yeah. Um, so two and a half percent. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, but we know now I can align it to, okay, 80% occlusion, 60% occlusion, whatever the research is going off of. Mm-hmm. And I'm also playing it safe because this is, this is what we're doing. So I highly encourage someone if they're interested to, to educate yourself, the systems that sounds complicated, but there's a lot of off the shelf systems right now that have uh, the cuffs and the little uh, ultrasound yep. that you can check. You don't have to do it all the time. You yep. can check it just like every couple months. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's a that's a that's a nice thing. Yep. So it makes it makes it easy. Um, 
now a lot of times, so BFR in both the rehab and, you know, maybe that hypertrophy is, it's a pretty short process. So you can get done through it really quick. Mm -hmm. uh, it's usually done over like four to six sets, I would say in there, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off really timed tempo work. Yeah. So it's, you know, two or three seconds in, in, you know, both the eccentric and concentric phases of the movement. Mm -hmm. um, so basically you're doing, sorry, sorry. I think it's like, yeah, it comes out to like 45 seconds, 30 seconds off somewhere in there, mm -hmm. but about 45 seconds. If you're counting time or tension, that equates to about 15 to 20 reps. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my articles, I have a, you know, a, uh, an easy way I walk through and it's like, you start with 30 reps and then for the first set and then it's 15, 15, so on. Yeah. But it basically is equating for the time and just kind of pumping up a little bit on that first, get, uh, that first one. So oftentimes yeah. that first set's a little bit higher mm -hmm. to get everything, uh, that pressure built up. Yeah. Uh, what I'm playing with right now again is, uh, developed, uh, so Dr. Mario Nova is the one I go to because mm -hmm. <laughs> he's an easy uh, resource for me. It's great knowing yeah. great people, right? For sure. <laughs> uh, so he, and this is where I think is interesting is what he wants to see happen in the industry uh, as well is see this get more into the recovery side of things. Mm. So not just in the rehab world, but something that an individual athlete or a coach would be doing to help their person. So it doesn't require a clinical license mm. uh, as well. So yeah. all the units the standard like units like a Delphi unit or some of the other stuff, they're very expensive and you've got to, you'd be able to buy one, but it'd go against your number and, and it, that'd be on file. And yeah, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't order one. Mm -hmm. I luckily I have a Cairo and PT in house and all that. Yeah. So it'd be easy to do, but if all my coaches are using it, that's kind of breaking the rules a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so the recovery methodology is very different. So the recovery is, there's a primer session, okay, which is done really light. So we do that at 60% occlusion mm -hmm. and it's very similar to the hypertrophy. So it's like 30 seconds on 30 off for three or four rounds. And I think you were doing those just with body weight, correct? Yes. Just body okay. weight. So mm -hmm. here's the thing, like a lot of this stuff doesn't, you don't want to be applying a lot of load to. Yeah. Because if it, we're trying to keep that blood in the limb, yeah. We're including it and trying to control how much is coming out. If you're using a high load, you're going to just push it straight past your bands. Mm. That's why I said, you got to know what you're doing. Otherwise you're just wasting your time Yeah, because you're not getting any BFR work from that. Yeah. So, well, you're doing something, <laughs> yeah. it's just not very protective. Yeah. Uh, so 60% really light body weight. Uh, and it may even be just me sitting there doing a leg extension with mm -hmm. no weight. Okay. We're not talking on the machine, just sitting on a chair, extending yeah. my legs. And that's kind of a, a, a primer, both neurologically and with the BFR. Mm -hmm. And then post-session is actually passive BFR. Yeah. And this is something very different. I've never done that before. Uh, but it's, uh, it's at 80% occlusion. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing that uh, five minutes on, one minute off for four rounds. Okay. Sorry, three rounds. Okay. Three rounds. And Perfect. then I put the, uh, the Mark pro, uh, unit on my legs while I'm doing that as well. Yeah. So while I'm passive, I'm still actually stimulating a little bit of muscle action in the process. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's done immediately post session. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, I've been doing that for a few months now. 
Have you noticed honest, uh, an improvement in recovery? Yeah, I definitely noticed an improvement in recovery. Now, it's something I don't get to do every session because mm-hmm. I train so long Okay. when I squat that yeah. I'm kind of pushing up uh, against the window for dinner time with <laughs> the family. Yeah. And being home on time uh, for the wife and kids rates as a higher priority in my life. Understand that. And maximizing that recovery post-session. So, uh, so I miss some. Yeah. You know, that's just what it is. For sure. Yeah. Um, now I know when we're talking about some of the most basic plans that are out there, when you look at the research, a lot of them are talking about sort of that, like you said, 30 or 20 to 30 reps usually for that first set uh, with very, very low load. And usually the goal with that is to really stimulate that cellular response and to get that fatigue into the legs. And if anyone's ever tried it before, it's, Oh yeah, this you're, you're, you're struggling. Like you're just like at the end of it, you're just moving a dead limb or doing a body weight, like RDL and you can't, you can bear like your body just isn't where it's really, it's really challenging. Yeah. So they have a lot of populations that they try to do this on that just don't do it because they can't, Yeah. they can't push themselves. So what's interesting is, uh, uh, they get very, they have really great compliance in Japan from what I heard mm. um, because they're used to just like in their culture, like being it's able like to just, themselves. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. That's what we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but if you're not it, uh, BFR work is very hard. It's, it's only, it's like, tough. it's like six, seven minutes and you're like, you're screaming. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what type of exercises were you using uh, in your protocols? Cause I know like when you look at the research, a lot of times they would take them and have them do like leg extensions or things like that. Were you using any form of a squat with that? Or were you doing more of an assisted like isolation exercise? Um, a little of both. It, okay. it, it really depends. So uh, I was doing a lot of like either a, a body weight squat Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an, uh, an RDL or instead of a deadlift, just to get a little bit more of the, like the hamstring. So I'd bounce back mm-hmm. and forth between the two yeah. with like a, a 26 pound kettlebell. Yeah. yeah. So again, for how much you lift squatting over a thousand yep. pounds, which I want to get to in a minute talk yep. about, but you're and then, using and then it, this with blood flow, flow cuffs on your legs and holding a 20 something pound kettlebell. Yeah. And that's yep. enough to make you cry almost at the end. Cause it's so tough. Yep. There you go. And, or maybe some, I do some, uh, uh, I'd usually do higher reps with them. If I do some like calf body weight, calf raises, maybe in mm-hmm. the mix. Yep. So depending on the stimulus, like if I could stretch a little bit, lighten it up, you yep. know, if like doing the RDL was too tough, I'd switch to doing that just so I could keep going. Yeah. And yeah, by the end, you're just like, you could do a hamstring curl and you're just like doing one leg and you're just trying to lift your leg. And it's like, it's not moving. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that feeling for sure. But yeah, yeah that's what I'm doing. I like, okay. you know, when I've squatted a thousand pounds, I've deadlifted a thousand pounds and that's the load I'm training with, with this stuff. Yeah. Have you seen any research or talked to anyone about the application of using it with heavier weight? Cause I know I did come across one article that they were using the occlusion at, I want to say it was like maybe 70 or 80, but they were using it during their set of 70% squats of for like sets of five and de uh, pressurizing in between sets. But I, have you have any experience with it with a heavier weight? So I, I have this article about the five uses Okay. For compression. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I wonder if people are stating they're doing BFR when mm-hmm. if you're doing a couple reps, you're not really getting much occlusion in there. Yeah. Yes, you've got the leg compressed at that amount for that time. And that can have other benefits. Mm-hmm. So I, I have definitely found 
that compression, um, particularly of like the groin area, but any of the low blood flow areas on either the point of origination or, um, or the, uh, gosh darn, I'm losing my, my, my mind here today, uh, <laughs> or the insertion point, uh, either side, either end of the muscle, uh, can really improve your intra, both, uh, intercession, uh, fatigue and intracession uh, fatigue. Mm. So I find I end up recovering a lot better. So if you watch my squat videos, you'll mm. see I've, I do have a band so that it's, I don't have the pressure measured. I mm-hmm. uh, can tell you it's usually, it feels like it's around like 70 ish percent. Okay. Uh, for me, based on, based on that 70 to 80%. Yeah. Um, but when I'm doing BFR, my legs turn purple. Yeah. When I got it on for squatting. They don't turn purple. Yeah. Because I'm not really occluding. So there's other uses and other applications mm-hmm. for compression. Yeah. And so, you know, people may think that they're, they're doing that. And I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now I am playing around with something more similar to, I follow a BFR uh, protocol. Mm. Uh, so right now I'm only training one day a week. Okay. So I'm not holding a lot of glucose stores in my muscles. I'm not filled out like as well as I would like. Mm-hmm. So for the last month, and this is no research. This is just me intuitively testing something. For sure. Um, but I run about 80% occlusion mm-hmm. pressure and I use one plate on the bar. Mm-hmm. And I do, usually I start with a set of 20 okay. and then I flex my quads, mm-hmm. groin, all of that for 20 count. Okay. And then I go back and I do 12, 15 or 20 again. And I do that. Uh, I do that for three sets and take a rest yeah. and then, you know, take 10, 15 minutes and then repeat the whole process again. Wow. What I'm hoping to do there. So I'm not like getting, I'm not doing it to help recover. Okay. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it for the passive compression so that I can lift with a little less pain mm-hmm. or anything like that. Obviously it's doing that as well. Yeah. What I'm attempting to do is I combine this. I do this the two days before I squat. Okay. With a lot of carbs. Okay. And a lot of insulin mimic uh, supplements like cinnamon, berberine, oh. things like that. Right. Yeah. So my goal is to flush and get the glucose storage up in those throughout the body and particularly in those appendages. Interesting. And, um, my body weight, uh, you know, obviously these are high carb days. So yeah. a lot of it is just the eating, but mm-hmm. I'll end up coming in about five pounds heavier to the yeah. session, uh, after the two days of doing that, mm-hmm. but definitely keeping the load at a point where it's not fatiguing me. Yeah. You know, five, you know, six sets of 12 to 20 reps with 145 pounds going to be pretty okay for me. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so it it, it seems to be working for that. Yeah. And is there other applications? I don't know. Is there any science behind it? (laughs) Definitely not. There wasn't any science driving me to try this, but it was just (laughs) the, the, how do I maximize that? So like I use the, the Vaso Blitz product uh, with build fast, which I love, which is Mm -hmm. a, uh, a mixture of nitrates as well as some calcium and citrulline, uh, it really enhances blood flow significantly. And that's been a game changer for me. So I do a lot of stuff around the more we can clear clearance, everything, it's also going to, uh, improve heart health and longevity and all this sort of stuff because there's lesser load on the heart, uh, lowers blood pressure, all this sort of stuff. But for me, it's been huge and it usually keeps me much fuller 
as a strength athlete from one session to the next. So I have better training. Yeah. But when I dropped from two sessions a week to one session a week, mm -hmm. I felt that there was an opportunity there for me to, to slap this in here as a test to see what it does. And I've been, I've been pretty happy with it. I plan on continuing it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, let, let's talk it's got about a totally that. different application than what, yeah, you know, what we're talking about. For sure. Well, let's talk about obviously that goal of, of training once a week is to lead up to this huge strength spectacle that you have coming up. Tell, tell us about that for the listeners that don't know what you're planning on doing uh, okay. in a month or two. So four years ago, I said I was retiring from powerlifting, which I've been doing for 16 years at the time at very top levels, yeah. to chase things that I wanted to do. Basically, mm -hmm. bring excitement back into my training. Yeah. Make it, I, it got to the point of I was doing it because I felt I had to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I set a goal. I didn't really lay it all out publicly at the time because, you know, that's just the way I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I like keeping those things a little close. Mm -hmm. So the goal was to be the first man in history to squat and deadlift a thousand pounds for reps. Okay. Yeah. Nobody's even come close to this, by the way, because again, we talk about the individuality, lever links, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. The deadlift phenoms, they're not going to be they can be okay squatters, mm -hmm. but some of these guys that are just built to pull, yeah. they finish the deadlift, their hands are just above the knees. I'm like, damn, mm -hmm. I'd love that. I'd freaking love that, but that's not me. <laughs> okay. Uh, and same the other way around. Mm -hmm. So you find, you know, these people that are thousand pound squatters, but they're, you know, stuck at an 800 deadlift yep. or vice versa. Right. Yep. And so nobody's deadlifted a thousand pounds or more for reps on deadlift. Yeah. Uh, and that was the first one I took on. I just said I was going for a thousand pound deadlift, uh, but I, uh, I got that. It's the Guinness world record for the sumo deadlift still stands, wow. uh, but I did it for almost three reps. And Amazing. that was three years ago. Yeah. Cause it took a, a year of training to reach that. Yeah. And now the last three years we've continued to, so I say we, because uh, our director of education, uh, he does my coaching mm -hmm. and one of my other, uh, coaches uh, focuses on a lot of like my soft tissue work. He does the laser uh, laser of my hips and pelvis and spine and all that gotcha. mm -hmm. uh, every week. So that's what actually drives our soft tissue work so that we know, because mm -hmm. again, it's all about for me positioning. Yeah, for if sure. I can get, if I can get, you know, that taken care of, that's huge when you're handling those loads. For sure. And I think there should be a methodology like test retest for this stuff too, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't imagine that. So <laughs> Kelly might be onto something with that. So, <laughs> yeah. The pelvis is slightly rotated and anterior by 21 degrees. We get done, <laughs> rotation's gone. I'm sitting at 19 degrees on both sides. Yeah. Okay. Balance. Good. Like, <laughs> guess what? I feel a lot better when that happens too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I say we a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm the one in the trenches doing the work, but I, there's no way I could pull off what I'm doing without the yeah. team that I have. It just, it yeah. wouldn't happen. This is, mm -hmm. this is extreme stuff. Like yeah. nobody's ever done this. Like just my training alone is so far out there to yeah. accomplish these goals that nobody's ever even trained this way. So, cause I'm not, you know, the other people squatting 400 pounds or a uh, thousand pounds, they're 400 pounds plus. Yeah. The other people that deadlifted a thousand pounds, they're all between 380 to 440 pounds. Mm -hmm. How much I'm, are you walking around at? I was 265 ish, I think, when I did the deadlift. I'm about 280 right now for the squat. Wow. So I'm a big guy. Yeah. But, but still. I'm not, I'm not 
a giant among wise. humans, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so this last year is finally been focusing, started the very specific prep for the squat last March. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to hit a thousand for a triple or better. And awesome. uh, it's moving well. I saw the uh, thousand for two, correct? Yep, I hit a thousand for a double uh, last week. This week's a deload week. Gotcha. And we'll see where we're at next week. We're going back into triples for the remainder of the training program. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, so it's 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 basic periodization. But mm-hmm. when we say periodization, a lot of people think that's that's just like sets and reps. Yeah. And it's a lot more than that. We got to mm-hmm. think about qualities that you want to develop. So yeah. like to handle a thousand pounds and be in position, we need to develop upper back strength to be able to stay in position. We need to develop the lumbar yeah. erectors and everything to be able to maintain uh, you know, the position in the lower spine. Yeah. So early in the program, there was a lot of good mornings, mm-hmm. uh, rowing movements, uh, usually like a, like did a lot of machine type rowing movements, but kept a lot of what I call a mixed axial load in, which would be a bent over row. Okay. So bent over row still has that axial load quality mm-hmm. on the spine, as well as the front to back uh, loading vector as well. Mm-hmm. And then picking exercises that were far away from the, the, the very specific squat that I was going to be doing, but mm-hmm. still working those patterns. So I was doing a lot of front squatting at the time. Okay. The bulk of the training was done with the transformer bar. Okay. Using a variety of different positions affecting on, you know, what I wanted to hit there was one that's great for managing TL, uh, the TL junction, which is uh-huh. a pretty big failure point when people for you sure. know, miss the squat, they end up missing it elsewhere, but they lose it there first, lose yep. position. And then you can't regain that leverage. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the bulk of the training in the middle was done with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of that started tapering down a lot of that, uh, those other accessory movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, about two months ago, I cut out um, basically all other accessory movements. Um, so it was squatting twice a week, one still being a belt squat. Okay. Uh, for still wet, trying to get a few more pounds of muscle on if I could, or fractions of a pound, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, like going into that, I was, you know, I was down to the point of like doing curls and push ups as my yeah. other because the recovery, like, why would you cut that other stuff out? Yeah. This is not what I would recommend for a lot of people getting <laughs> to a point where you're squatting once a week. Yeah. I've been training for over 30 years. I don't need to get bigger. Yeah. I don't like everything is really mostly neurological for me at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything after this other than just focusing on health and longevity. So this isn't uh, something to copy, but understanding the process can help people understand what we're doing. Yeah. The reason for cutting all that stuff out is we're ramping things so hard and strong on the squat that mm-hmm. I need every resource for recovery for that. Yeah. And also the loads are getting, getting so high Mm-hmm. that even if you've got a four or 500 pound squat and you're training at the same relative percentage, mm-hmm. the, the demands on your body to maintain position, the demands on the joints, all this stuff is not what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Just, just flat out. Yeah. Like when I'm done squatting, my lats are fried. Like I just spent three hours doing row work. I bet. Okay. My rear delts, my biceps, my triceps, my obliques, my chest, my, my pecs, I, I'm getting, you know, I'm doing scraping work on my, ch- my chest almost every week because wow. just the stress is on that. And for sure, that combined with the breathing under the load with the bar on top, like it's, it's all getting trained, right? Me. Yeah. And that's not going to happen to most anybody else unless you're doing like, so I, I'm doing right now, 
in every training session, about eight total repetitions mm -hmm. that average out to 950 plus pounds. Wow. So no one's ever done that. Yeah. Like these other, you work with JP. JP mm -hmm. did a number of like 900 plus pound squats going into his, uh, his thousand squat. Mm -hmm. I think he told me he squatted it like 19 times or something like that over the course of the, the training cycle leading in. Mm -hmm. Number maybe off. That's a lot. He's yeah. actually pushing a lot more than what most people do. Usually they're working up to a heavy single or double like twice mm -hmm. a month. Yeah. Okay. I can't do that because I'm much lighter. I don't have the big body suit. I don't have yeah. the mass to throw against it. So I have to train in a way nobody's ever done before. True. Because so JP I'm, was walking hitting, around a little over 400 pounds when he was doing that. He, and he was, yeah, he was over 400 pounds. Mm. So he's not there now. He looks, he's looking Man, he is awesome. a totally different so, person. Yeah. He's at 320. It's, it's yeah. crazy to see him, how skinny so, he is now. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm doing that in, in, the, in the course of a week. Yeah. Like that's nuts. That's crazy. Uh, in, the last, in the last eight weeks, I've squatted over 900 pounds about 80 times. Wow. So that's what I mean by like, the training that I'm doing right now, nobody has any understanding of yeah. how hard it is and how much, like, like, what are you doing with the rest of your week? I barely fit in all my recovery work yeah. every single day. Every day is recovery. Yeah. Luckily, I've built a great team. I've got soft, I've got LMT in-house. I've got Cairo in-house. I've, mm -hmm. I've got all the tools at my disposal. I have all the knowledge that most people like, like, uh, it would die for to be able to, like, nobody yeah. can... And that's the thing with a lot of the feats of strength is that it's, there's a reason why I'm doing this sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. I did other ones like squatting 800 pounds every day for 30 days. I remember that one. Deadlifting 880, so 400 kilo every day for 17 days. Yeah. Uh, these are also like pushing, in this process, I learned so much more. Mm. I learned in a matter of months. Yeah. I learned like 10 years worth of knowledge at least. Like it's, because there's no way out. Yeah. And you're pushing the limit so close and tight that when you make minor changes, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to wait six months to figure out, did that work? Yeah. Like I know, like when I was squatting every day, I had to, I had to walk out of the gym every day feeling good. And the last couple of weeks I would fall down after I squatted because I couldn't stand up anymore. I was in so much pain. Mm. And 15 minutes later, I'd be okay. Yeah. We did the work and we did all the prep and yeah. I, I gave me 24 hours of walking and moving, which is mm -hmm. the big, that's the biggest healer of all those. Yeah. Um, so I, I could get into a rant about soft tissue. Uh, well, with let, that let's go about this. But, Cause I know you talked about how important recovery is to your goals. And obviously recovery is something that I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is to the performance aspect of training. Like we think recovery is just Netflix and chill. I'm just going to sit on a couch and just relax. Yeah. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do much. And then that's my recovery. What, no. what type of things do you, would you say are the pillars of your recovery? Number one is sleep. Number yep. two is movement. Number three is stimulating blood flow. Mm -hmm. uh, nutrition probably falls in there. Nutrition and hydration, but I just like, go, you should be doing that. Like, so I don't know where to rate that in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, sleep is instrumental and in so many things that people do and not preparing 
for getting ready to fall asleep every night. Okay. Um, what things do you like to do? Uh, you've got to at some point t- shut off your technology Put and be able down. to just shut it down. Let the day, let the day, you know, the stresses of the day go away mm-hmm. and not be second guessing those. Um, I've got a bed cooling system. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So for managing the temperature of the bed, yeah. uh, implemented that, the, that a chili pad. Yeah. Okay. I've seen, I, I've seen, uh, reviews of that, but I've never experienced it yet. It's freaking phenomenal. I'll tell Is you it? that. Yeah. Um, uh, little magnesium help you relax. Obviously magnesium sulfates, you know, good for doing the same thing with the muscles. Yeah. Uh, I, I end the day with an Epsom salt bath. Okay. It's not necessarily just for the, the salt bath because mm-hmm. it's kind of minimal, the recovery aspect of it. It does have some, you know, again, that magnesium sulfate, yeah. uh, it's going to have some impact, but it's not like this magic wand. Mm-hmm. All your aches and pains are going to go away, <laughs> but it's a nice time to just sit back and chill and relax. Yeah. Like for me. Yeah. Um, enjoy a little time talking to my wife there you go. Uh, for a while and then climb into bed and I'm out. Yeah. And then I've got a, ne- I've got a couch right over here in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the day I get a nap in. I would love a nap during the day. <laughs> and so everybody here, that's Duffin's nap couch. Yes, that, that is it. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so, so that's huge for me. Yeah. Movement. Now a lot of people get the movement wrong mm-hmm. when, yeah, they just want to relax. But yeah. movement is the healer, but moving well is the healer. Yes. Being stressed out, not breathing right, having compensation patterns. This is why I just get so frustrated with people that walk into the gym and start doing their mobility work before they squat because they can't, like, I can't squat unless I do this, this, and this. I'm like, did this squat session just jump onto your schedule? <laughs> Surprise. You're yeah. not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you knew it was coming. So if you've been not moving right all week. Yeah that's a whole week that you've actually missed in your recovery because yeah. walking around with in poor position or in pain, or it may be even subtle, mm-hmm. but trust me, if you have to do that work before you go to squat, you should have done it sooner. Well, as soon as you could have done it yeah. is immediately post-training. Yeah. So that's when I start mine. We don't go deep then. Mm-hmm. And we try to kick off the, uh, you know, the parasympathetic side as, yep. as well. So it's a, it's a little bit different style, but we get care of like my hip flexors get jacked really easy. So as yep. all that sort of stuff, just yep. some light work right through there. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom, I'm not like hunched over or having trouble getting out of the car or mm-hmm. any of this sort of stuff. Guess what? That's huge for recovery now as I move around. Yeah. So, I mean, you get so many people. I always tell them if the only time you're squatting, is whenever you have a barbell on your back, you're missing out on the full, full potential of the movement because throughout your day, you should be sitting in a deep body weight squat. And just that ability to sort of work around, tinker around that movement and learn to own that position body weight, man, when you get to the gym, you're that much quicker into Ex- your performance. Exactly. So gym's training time. Exactly. Anyway, just a big frustration of mine. Yeah, uh, because you see it everywhere. That's the that's the, that's the thing. You go into the gym and everybody's rolling out for forty five minutes. And it's oh like, yeah, exactly. I'm like wow. Yeah, yeah. I always <laughs> tell people, I'm like, you need to be efficient and effective with what you're doing to prime your body so that you can perform to your best. And that should not take more than 15, 20 minutes. Yep. It should not be a 45 minute warm up. And if yep. it is, it speaks to you are not doing something optimally throughout your day, likely to get you prepared yep. to that point. It, Kelly Starrett, you know. Uh, that has a massive amount of mobility movements out there says 
you should not be doing more than 10 minutes yeah. prior to training. I say yeah. nine minutes because I like single minutes. <laughs> so one digit, one yeah. digit. Right? There you go. So if you can't do it in one digit, there's always time that you know, we may break the rules, but we need to know. Yeah. We need to know why. We need to understand them first. Exactly. And it shouldn't pull be, a tool out of the toolbox for the right time. Yeah. Exactly. But it should not be standard process, and that's where we see everywhere. Well, exactly. I got to do that to balance my strength training work. Like, mm-hmm. no. How about you do your strength training work right, and your hips won't be tight to begin with. Ah. That's so Think true. about yeah, that. A lot, of, a lot of people don't even realize that. A lot of people's heads just exploded when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the truth. Yeah. Squatting doesn't make. This is what I say all the time. Squatting doesn't make your hips tight. I don't stretch at all and I can damn near come close to doing the splits. I'm a yeah. 280 pound freaking power lifter. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So squatting like shit, that makes your hips tight. Yep. <laughs> like, so it's a, it's the body's trying to protect itself. This is mm-hmm. the ankle mobility one. This is what kills me all the time too. Mm-hmm. Cause that's everybody's like, I need the shoes because I don't have the ankle mobility. Mm-hmm. Well, let's think about that for a second. So if we know that the ankle mobility is a restriction neurologically unless you've got like a car accident or something because that's mm. basically what all those restrictions are. It's not actually in the tissue, right? Mm. It's the body trying to protect that joint, which means it's protecting it because something's weak. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, <laughs> so your foot is weak from wearing a shoe and not training the foot. Yep. So you need these shoes to fix your... Wait a minute. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, one of the first things I ask people when they have these restricted ankles is I'm like, Hey, how much time do you spend out of your shoes during the day? And how often are you sitting in a deep squat? 99% of people are like, I don't spend more than a minute in a deep squat during the day. I'm like right there. I mean, well, the, you're never in exactly. that position. You know, they, you have the, you have all the answers, Yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's, if you're, if your ankle is restricted, everybody wants to spend all day doing mobilizations and putting their lifters on. And what yeah. they need to be doing is strength training the foot. So true. Boom. So, true. so, so movement king next is blood flow. I talked about uh, vasoblitz, uh, but it's just the daily use of nitrates. This is what we okay. pioneered. Yeah. And there's research backing this. Hmm. So everybody does thinks about nitrates as stuff a bodybuilder would use for a pump. Okay. Look vascular before, you know, during yeah. training, be filled out. Mm-hmm there's huge application everywhere else because if we actually stimulate that process every day through the body, mm-hmm. we're actually getting clearance and recovery and Oh, so the research actually shows we have enhanced recovery, endurance, anabolism, like all these benefits start stacking up and it starts happening around 18 days that huh. uh, it starts coming into effect. So yeah. daily use of that, if you've got other approaches like beet juice and tomato and blackstrap, yeah. you know, I, like you can do whatever you want. We've got a great product, but, it's yeah. not restricted. Do it daily. Try mm-hmm. it for a month. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it'll substantially up all of that. And yeah. so huge proponent of that. Um, obviously, from we hit nutrition, but uh, yeah, you know, make sure that you've you're not going catabolic. Yeah. Uh, you know, big big windows without unless you know. Uh, I mean, there's people who do intermittent fasting. I did it for a long time too. You're really not adding muscle mass during that period of time. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking you're not chasing stuff like you know, these elite goals, if you're doing fasting, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I've done it, nothing wrong with it. Uh, but we want to maximize muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we've, you know, we're fed. Um, uh, I think those are the big ones. The Mark Pro is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so same thing. It's yeah. passive. So it's not going to be as good as going and moving and lifting, mm-hmm. just straight up. Yeah. But 
there's no fatigue. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. uh, you can run it for a little while. It has the difference between it. And so I, I like to explain this to people because they think uh, some of these things are all the same. Yeah. Uh, oh, I got a TENS unit. Mm -hmm. uh, TENS yeah. is a different frequency. It's more of a nerve blocking. So, so you want one that has so uh, the FDA approval for the frequency for recovery. Yes. So, uh, which is very different than what those $30 units you're going to pick up off Amazon do. Yes. And I'm, um, I'm pretty sure like that, uh, the Mark Pro does uh, similar to like a power dot, right? It's similar in there. They both have, they have uh, the high frequency and the low frequency and they, yep. they have the ability to do the non-fatiguing muscle stimulation. Yes. This is what we're going for. Yeah. Yep. But exactly. I think those are really the only two big ones that I know. I, I heard there was another one out there. I got the Mark Pro because I think it was the only one at the time. Yeah. I think the power dot's pretty new. Okay. So yeah, I heard there was another one out there. That's why I, I wanted to just cover. It's not a, it's not a tens unit. Okay. Yes, so yeah, don't get the tens, tens unit. unit. You're not going <laughs> to, yeah. nothing and it, said. Yeah. I'm like, and, and, it, and it's not Russian stim from the East End machines that you get from your physical therapist. Cause no. that's, that's a totally different type of workout that you're trying to do for your legs. Yes. So, but you know, same thing, you know, yeah. it's just about clearance, getting yeah. some blood flow, getting some movement, like all these things. Right. Yeah. And so, I think the big thing I tell people when it comes to like uh, the Mark pro or, or the power dot, things like that is like you said, it's not movement. It's passive muscle stimulation. So while passive movement, is never as good as active. Exactly. So this movement the, that's has to be there to. first. Yep. And then when you're sitting on the couch with your kids and your wife at eight o'clock at night uh -huh. before you're trying to go to bed and you want a little bit more, slap those on. You're getting even e that much more. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But a lot of times people, obviously in the way in which we sell things today in today's society, we push it as that's the first and foremost. This is the pillar. When in reality, this is the, this is the supplement to our pillar of yes. movement. So you notice I framed this discussion around the principles I believe in. And there then here's the tools that the it different ways that we can go around it. Even when I've got supplements to sell you or soft tissue tools to sell you, yep. like I, whatever, however you want to get there, they're, yep. they're all avenues to that. But don't mm -hmm. forget what the underlying fundamentals are. It all starts with why. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what, what I wanted to end on today, because I didn't want to take too much of your time today, because I know you're a very busy man. I know you came out with a book recently, and it's been, it's been doing very well, apparently, to, to all the reviews that I've seen online. I have not gotten a chance to read it yet. I definitely, it's on my list. Um, tell all the listeners what your book is about, The Eagle and the Dragon. Okay. So, The Eagle and the Dragon. Um, I have had, uh, it's an autobiography. Okay. Uh, but it is much more than an autobiography. I didn't want to have a book that just talks about me. There's a reason behind this. Okay. So Kabuki Strength is all about, and all my brands, about living better through strength. But they really touch the physical nature of things. And they don't get into the mental, emotional, or even spiritual sides of strength. Mm -hmm. Which in my view is arguably more important. You need to have all facets to make it work together effectively. Totally agree. And they work in the same manner. And I've had a, an interesting life scope, we'll say. Mm -hmm. So at 20 years old, I had a tattoo of two eagles, one across my front, one across my back. Okay. And there's a chain, both of them are chained and they're trying to take flight and the chain runs all the way down and it's, sh it's shackled to my ankle. Okay. And what that means is that whatever heights you want to fly to in life, mm -hmm the only thing holding you back at the end of the day is yourself. Your own perceptions are your own limitations. And it really comes down to the definition of oneself is not defined 
You're not defined by your environment, the things that have happened to you, but your responses, your actions to those things. So let's add a little more substance to this. When I had this done, I was 20 years old. I owned my own house. I was raising three of my sisters. I had my first engineering completed, degree completed, was working on my second, owned my own business, and was working full-time in the production field. I was working in window and doors uh, as well uh, as, a, uh, as a manufacturing manager. But to get there, I had spent nearly most of my life homeless, mm. growing up in the woods, living in tents, condemned homes, foraging for mushrooms, killing animals. Mm-hmm. You know, six years old, yeah. I was taught how to catch and handle live rattlesnakes and kill them because wow. we lived in the woods with snakes running all around the place. We had beams strapped to the trees and our mm-hmm. bedding was up there. I dealt with murderers. I dealt with a serial killer, Mm. drug running, human trafficking. Seen some fucked up shit. I'll just tell you that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I I came out of that. Mm. Uh, I was valedictorian for my high school as a state uh, state level uh, championship level athlete, uh, full ride academic scholarship, and I went off and started my own thing and things got drastically worse at home while I was gone. And so I ended up taking custody and raising my three younger sisters while I put myself through school, um, working full time, doing my thing, lifting weights too. (laughs) It's always been there with me. And, uh, and so right around the start of Kabuki strength, I had a second tattoo done. Okay. This one's the dragon hmm. and it is an Ouroboros. So it's a dragon eating its own tail. It's uh, about the continual renewal of life or the, you know, the purposeful reinvention of oneself. Mm-hmm. And this dragon covers my chest, my shoulders, my upper back. It's a big giant piece. Yeah. And uh, right on my chest is the dragon eating its tail. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's the very specifically deciding who you want to be in this world and becoming that person. Mm -hmm. And so the second half of the book uh, goes through my life. So I ended up becoming, being very successful in a number of areas. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a sought after corporate executive um, that would be brought in to, to fix and get companies sold or grow them to from a regional to a national or international presence. Yeah. said I, I was top of the you know was one of the best powerlifters in the world uh, had a family two kids uh, everything that you could dream of mm-hmm. I would think for me anyway um, and I sat back and said what am I doing in this world yeah. where do I want to be and I ended up making vast changes I changed my friendships mm-hmm. I changed my marriage I walked away from a highly paying secure uh, career to make no money Mm -hmm. and throw everything that I had earned my entire life uh, into that pool of risk to make happen and founded Kabuki Strength with the goal of having and leaving 
a positive impact by changing the face of strength training in the world today. Wow. And uh, I'm happily remarried, I have a third kid, and I'm doing just that. Um, and every aspect of what I do is my vision of what I want out of life. And so the bigger thing said, it's more than an autobiography because it's those tales. Every chapter is mixed with lessons and it culminates. The last quarter of the book is really how do you put these together in your life and take make actionable change. And it really comes down to some big breaks, I, I, gaps I see and how people uh, operate in the world today. Mm-hmm. So one of them is that first half of the book. You ask people who they are and you know the story of, I'm the guy with the broken back. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm this way because my parents are alcoholics. Mm-hmm. I am, so that's like the first half of the book is like how do you find your strengths and how do you separate yourself from those things that have happened to you? And they may be bad and yeah, they're gonna affect you, but they're not you. You are how you respond. The second half of the book is really about understanding your deeper values. And this is where digging why goes much, much deeper. Yeah. And really understanding what and how you want to live in this world from those values. And then once you've got your values understood, actually the process of now we can start creating goals. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? And align those goals so you can execute and live a life that realizes that. And so I talk about some of the pitfalls and the process around this, a prioritization, uh, stuff that I've used in my personal life and also with uh, a lot of the company turnarounds and things that I've done. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a reverse, reverse prioritization process, but highly effective. Yeah. And uh, we touch a lot on philosophy on a few things. And uh, it's, uh, that's why the reviews are there's over a hundred five-star reviews on Amazon, I think at this time. Yeah. Um, and you'll read them and you'll, you'll realize it's the book has changed people's lives. And that's the goal of the book. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. These stories are ways for me to articulate because I did have, I haven't had a worse life than everybody or this or that like, but I've had a very interesting life scope and a lot of interest, a lot of a scope that most people would never see like over the course of it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, from growing up homeless in the mountains with nothing, yeah. heating up jugs of water in a stream so you could dump it over your head and, and, and bathe yourself to being a high-powered corporate executive uh, to walking away from that to become a serial entrepreneur and exhibition yeah. social media person, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've had a lot, and, and that scope has allowed me, created a lot of these epiphanies and the way I approach it and how mm-hmm. to find success in a lot of different avenues because with those, which I, which I have done. Yeah. I'd like to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Exactly. And uh, so that's what the book is about is, is really giving people the tools mm-hmm. and motivation and inspiration and challenging them yeah. to be more, to do more. Well, and so I, I'm yeah. really proud of it because I was, I was worried. You never know when you write something like that, if it's just going to come across as like cocky and look at me. And I'm yeah. like, that's not what I'm, that's not why I spent a year trying to write that damn thing. like I want it to I want it to help people yeah and so in it we're we're touching on those other aspects of strength yeah well I for one I can't wait to read it it's on my list uh and it's amazing to to see the things that'll come from this you know of of helping change people's lives because that's that's really what it's all about yep 
So, um, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. This has been by far one of my most favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast so far. So I just want to say thank you for being such an amazing guest and sharing all your knowledge with all the listeners today. I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are going to be having so much that they can take away to better their lives. Um, for those out there that want to learn more about the stuff that you do and Kabuki does as far as the education and, and everything, where, where can they go and find those things? Yeah. So uh, Kabuki Strength, K-A-B-U-K-I Strength.com. Mm-hmm. Great starting point. <laughs> um, you can find us on uh, Instagram and social media. Instagram's probably the best for, uh, and I, I would encourage people to also click on, this is a really great resource, probably not named appropriately, mm-hmm. but we've got an education channel that we drop content on almost every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just a plethora of free information. So encourage listeners to check that out. Um, so for me personally, um, is I have a personal website, ChristopherDuffin.com. So there's a link to the book, where to find it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually get a free audio download if you don't have a, an Audible account uh, yet. So you can get it for free and another book for free. Uh, oh, so awesome. there's links for that. And then there's links for Build Fast Formula, Barefoot Athletics, which makes the shoe that you're uh, going to be yep. trying out pretty soon. I'm <laughs> can't excited wait. to get your response on that. I love them. Yeah, so. I can't. Yeah, I can't wait. <clears throat> and um, so it kind of links to everything. You can mm-hmm. find me uh, across social media. I'm sure if you just type in Chris Duffin on anything, mm-hmm. I'm there. So, but I'm not really super active like on the TikTok and the Twitter <laughs> stuff. I haven't quite figured that out, but I'm there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm usually, Instagram and LinkedIn are the places to find me. Yep. So if you want to reach out, I'm, I'm on there. Um, mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin on Instagram. But again, you just type in Chris Duffin, I think on any platform and I'm sure I'll pop up. So there you go. Well, and for all the listeners out there, I'll have links to all this. I'm going to start putting those in the show notes uh, of the podcast so everyone can quickly get to those. So Chris, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been amazing Uh, for everyone out there. Go and follow Chris and Kabuki strength all across social media. Um, It is something that you will uh, get so much value from, which is the goal, obviously, of Squat University free education for all because we're trying to change lives. So uh, everyone out there, uh, happy squatting. And uh, Chris, thank you so much again. Happy squatting. (laughs) Live better through strength, my friend. That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.